Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Wolfcast. It's Helena here and today I'm joined by Claire Shaw, one of our epic teachers here at Wild Wolves who many of you may know already. Claire is currently studying her MA in exercise science and took some time out to chat about movement and the body with me. Apologies for the slightly lower sound quality of this recording as it was recorded in lockdown. But I hope you all enjoy the amazing information Claire has to share. Hi, Claire. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, really good. Yeah, good. having having a lovely, semi-lovely lockdown. Yeah, awesome. Oh, well, thanks so much for joining us on the Wolfcast. Um, super excited to have you here today because we're going to be talking about finding balance within our movement. And I know that that's a big passion for you. Um, and I guess I actually wondered if you wouldn't mind sort of sharing your story, because I think you have quite an interesting story into exercise and a movement. Um, so yeah, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Oh yeah. Oh wow. I wasn't expecting this. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so I think it, you know, as a, let's go, let's go real deep. Let's go all the way back. So as a, as a teenager, um, I, like many teenagers, struggled with body image. I was not like a sporty kid. I was one of the arty kids. And um, I, I really very much kind that. of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't like MP. I felt um, like, like I didn't belong. I felt like I couldn't do this stuff. All the other girls were better. And there was this, you know, degree of like competitiveness and needing to be skinny. And it just totally put me off any sort of organized exercise. Cause I just felt quite like, um, quite ashamed really quite put me into quite a shameful space. So I went the other way and was like drinking, partying, doing all the bad things. Um, and you know, a lot of boys and just, you know, having a great time, but not really very good for my mental, emotional, physical health. Um, in fact, I thought, and I didn't really, didn't really know anything about health either. I was like, if something says salad on it, it must be healthy. <laughs> I think they too, I used to get salads from McDonald's and thought I was like yeah. so healthy. Yeah, I was like pasta salad. That's got weird salad in it, right? <laughs> so I think it's a marketing ruse mm. that one um and then I I went up to art school because I was originally a kind of painter and printmaker and started making art in this very like rainy cold city and became very um you know I, I don't know I guess a bit depressed in in some ways and having existential crises as you do when you're like 20 and like what is life what is it um I accidentally sort of signed up for this uh, samba class, this Brazilian dance class. And going into that class, I, it was like one of the first times I'd ever felt movement for joy and movement for movement's sake. And this feeling of like really connecting to my body in a, in a positive way. And what was great as well was like I saw all these women around me, different shapes and sizes, shaking their hips, shaking their asses, you know, you know, wiggling, jiggling. And um, they were beautiful. You know, they were so beautiful. And that kind of got me a little bit hooked. I was like, oh, I want more. I want more of this like this high and this feeling of connection 
to to my body. And so I became so obsessed with dance and dancing that I decided to leave art school. <laughs> oh, you actually and, left? You didn't complete your degree? No. Oh. I was like, I was like, you know, <laughs> throw my paintbrush out the window. <laughs> That's so artist. You're like, I found another medium now. That's exactly what happened. Um, and I kept telling my um, tutors, I was like, do you know what? I just want to dance. And they were like, um, you know you're in a painting school, right? <laughs> um, and I had this one teacher. I spoke to like six different tutors. And they all were like, how about you put paint on your feet and then you like you like run around the floor with paint on your feet and it's, it'll be very conceptual and wonderful. Um, and I was like, no, that's not, that's not it. And I had this one teacher who was like, have you thought about going to um, contemporary dance school? And I was like what is contemporary dance? And then I thought, yeah, why not? So I auditioned for the Scottish School of Contemporary Dance, having no dance experience. (laughs) (laughs) And this is like conservatoire, isn't it? Yeah. And so imagine, I I turn up and there's all these girls in like leggings and you have to like pin your number onto yourself. And you have to do a ballet class on a stage in front of these like judges or school, you know, teachers. You have to do a contemporary class also in front of this like panel. You have to do like this free movement thing. (laughs) I was just sort of making it up as I went along. (laughs) I love that you just had like no like. I mean, since since that samba class, I'd been doing like lots and lots of samba, like going like three, four times a week. I'd dabbled in some flamenco some tap I'd been taking like the odd ballet class but this is nothing compared to like you know the other dancers who had like 15 years of dance from the age of four to like and they were all like 15 16 and I was like 20 21 and um in the audition interview thing they were like um so what is your previous dance experience and I was like I could lie but they probably can tell. So I was like, um, no, none really. Um, and for some reason they saw something in me and was like, and were, you know, offered me a place on the in- introduction to contemporary dance course. Okay. It's like a year long intensive in contemporary dance. Um, and I got in and that was for that. And that was great. So I left Glasgow, went to Dundee, started, you know, dancing and, yeah, it was it was amazing. Although I did get kicked out, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I got kicked out because um, in like year two, no, year one. So I really, I got through after the introduction, I got through to the year, the first year. Yeah. And then, um, I, you know, you had to re-audition for each year. I re-auditioned and they're like, no, you, sorry. <laughs> and obviously I was devastated because mm. I was like, I must be a dancer. Um, it was the only thing I wanted to do. And they were like, you're just not learning well. You're just not getting it. Like you've got that you've got really good technique when it's stationary, but as soon as you get you have to move your dancing, you know, it just doesn't and what I didn't realise at the time was that I'm actually dyspraxic. Mm. Uh, and dyslexic and I they just were like no you're not moving well so not to be deterred I moved to London (laughs) auditioned for the dance schools there didn't get in never mind did a year of training um, in Lewisham College and auditioned again and I got in 
and then did you know four years of contemporary dance training in like one of the best schools mm. in yeah Europe, you went to you went to Trinity Laban right that's like yeah yeah okay. which is which is really amazing one of the top schools and that was where they picked up on the fact that <laughs> they were like hmm, you're not there's something that you're not quite picking up and then they did all these tests and they were like, yes, dyspraxic, dyslexic, dyscalculus. I don't know how to say it. I'm dyscalculus or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Number dyslexic. Yeah. And um, and after all of that, I decided to become a yoga teacher. <laughs> so once they told you you had all of these disses, what, um, what were you meant to do with that information? Well, this is the problem is... Um, is in some ways it was good because I didn't feel like, oh my God, what's wrong with mm. me? I knew what, I was like, okay, my brain actually processes things in a different way. Mm. Fortunately, they didn't really have any clear ways. Yeah, because it's like on an academic course, they kind of can give you some software and stuff, but on a dance course, what can they do? They're just like, try harder, just keep trying. I was like, right. Okay. Um, And I think that's one of the things that led me to how I feel about movement now and how I teach now and the things that I value. Um, Because sometimes less is more or sometimes approaching the body through the nervous system Mm. rather than trying to like uh, whip it into shape is much more um, beneficial for sustainable movement and actually there's a lot of people with a whole spectrum of different um like in quotation marks disorders like learning movement disorders Mm. and also like most people in our contemporary society in our in our the way we get kids to just sit down from age four upwards most people's ability to move is actually um it's not very good (laughs) it's not very well honed we are missing those like building blocks that people who've danced from four upwards have so um luckily (laughs) I had that experience in a way because I I understand how to teach movement kind of in in a different way to I think I would have had I not had to struggle through those obstacles Mm. myself yeah and I would say I mean I've been to a you know all of like your different style classes and they're just so unique the way that you teach is super unique whether it's yoga or more pilates based or or more fitness based all of your classes like just as so much of the brain as well and how you know learning learning stuff like I often feel like your classes feel like going to a mini workshop because they're just peppered with so much information yeah Um, I'm like did you know that the cervical spine (laughs) (laughs) god I bet when you go to like the physio or like chiropractor or whatever you love just nerding out with them oh yeah yeah I do I do I'm like yeah we have these great in fact sometimes it's a problem because I spend like way too long <laughs> you like teach <laughs> then, me they're like uh I've got my next client soon um but yeah it's it's really great yeah cool so I've got some bullet points here um so for those of you listening me and Claire did sort of have a discussion prior to this so we've got some bullet points we're going to move through and the first one is balance so the benefits of mixing up our movements yeah so all right so I I think that um often the body gets described in terms of um being like a machine Mm. which 
Um, in some ways, is really good because it speaks a little bit about the the way that we're made up essentially of different like levers, you know, it, and and joints and like moving parts, and we kind of have an engine in a way. If you want to think about mm. it like that. Um, but the problem with this model or this idea is that um, is that we're not actually machines or robots, and and that you know there's that saying that the only constant in life is change and one of our really great strengths as human beings as kind of animals is our ability to ability to adapt mm. to the changes that happen uh, in life and the problem about not having a movement practice or even a, a life which is balanced is that it reduces our ability to adapt so if you only have three solutions in your movement repertoire Mm. three ways of dealing with things what happens if something comes up that you're not prepared for you know if you're if you're rigid and you can't move with the forces that act on our body that's that those are the moments that get um that we shatter that we get broken and that's kind of where um the the beginning point of a lot of injuries um and also if you think about some of the some of the big things the chronic injuries that we get in our society they're all repetitive action things Mm. you know from typing, from sitting, and it's it's being locked into certain movement patterns that really um, that really uh, overloads and overstresses body. So yeah, I I feel like I just ram I just like said a lot of things. Do you, do you have any questions about what I just said? Um, so I guess you're sort of it's we spend a lot of our time doing really repetitive movements. So we want to mix up to do lots of different things. So we sort of end up with a much more sort of whole Mm. reaction system, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, you know, in terms of a yoga practice, part of this is not, just um you know because often we do the same poses again and again yeah and that's the thing and that's definitely something that I've sort of learned now that I've sort of you know been teaching and like coming you know I've been practicing for almost like 10 years now and I'm like really I'm like god I got I gotta mix this up because otherwise you just you know it ends up being quite linear yeah yeah exactly um and the you know there's that that phrase um what you don't use, you lose. Mm. And that, that is very much true of the body. The body's like, right, don't need this. Haven't used this for 10 years. Let's just chuck that one out the window. Um, but the sort of saving grace of our body is um, the incredible plasticity of our brains, you know, mm. and our bodies. They're constantly reforming. You know, the body wants to be able to adapt to stuff. Um, mm. We just need to give it the right s- stimulus. Um but in terms of your yoga practice or in terms of a yoga practice, some of it is not just in the physical poses. Some of yeah. it is in how you approach it. So if you're, if you're paying attention to your, your nervous system and to your emotional state and to your current like psychological whatever, then each time you come into a pose, you're able to approach that pose a little bit differently. Mm according to how you're feeling. Um, whereas if we get stuck into this mindset of, I don't want to say like mindless movement, but 
of I know how the pose is meant to be and it has to be like this, otherwise it's wrong, um, then that's that is where the rep- repetitive load really happens because mm. you're not listening to your body. You're not listening to how does it feel today, you know? Yeah, and that actually I'll sort of – I wrote the quest, the sort of bullet points in a list, but I'm going to jump actually to meaningful movement and good movement because I know when we spoke before we kind of chatted about that and how we're sort of taught that – it should always be done one way but actually um like and like you know what is good movement and, and that we sort of we were saying about how at the gym you're taught never to let your knee go over your yeah. ankle but actually that's how we get up the stairs yeah that's like my favorite example because yeah because also I believed that when I first started doing exercise and people were like oh if your knee goes over your ankle, it's very bad for your knee. And then someone someone actually said to me, well, how do you think you get upstairs if you can never let your knee go over your ankle? I was like, oh, yeah. Yes. And I actually oh went to my stairs and tried it, and I was like, yeah, fair play. It's difficult. Um, yeah, so, I, yeah, I don't know if this is – I don't know if it's that we're moving away from dogmatic thinking now, or maybe mm. we're still in it, but um, – I think my approach to movement, it, it's changed a lot. It used to be, I used to be really, really into technique and I still am. Mm. But technique without meaning, like rules without meaning, again, become really rigid. So, you know, there's been that big debate in the yoga industry about the cue for your shoulders. Like, should you pull your shoulders down mm. when you lift your arms up or do you let your shoulders lift? Um and a lot of the rules developed in our yoga practice are have their basis is bases, 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 bases in aesthetics and in how we yeah. think it should look. Very true. So, yeah. So, and actually, modern yoga practice has um, has has been influenced by dance it's been influenced by gymnastics it's been influenced by modern art and it's been influenced by yeah how we think it should look so so uh you know so that to go back to the shoulder thing there's that for years and years people were saying you know lift your arms up Mm. pull your shoulders down and then suddenly people were getting lots of impingement injuries in their shoulders and, and they were like, no, 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 actually the scapula have to lift and we have to let our shoulders go to the ears. Um, and so I think it's really important to question when people say this movement is bad or this movement is good without giving a reason um, or, or without kind of the understanding, the broader understanding that this movement might be good most of the time for most people in this, mm. but without, um, without that ability to vary it, then it, it kind of loses its usefulness. Cause again, we just get locked into, we get to just get locked into patterns, I think. Yeah. 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 We do definitely locked into patterns. It's yeah. It's crazy. Um, how we just sort of take people's words for it as well and don't always necessarily question them. And I guess because you've 
come from a dance background where I guess you've done a lot of anatomical studying and now you're doing your MA in exercise science right so I guess you actually have the foundations where you can question a lot more yoga poses whereas like someone like me I was like you I was not into exercise one bit at school (laughs) um at all I was much more interested in uh yeah smoking and, and being naughty too and I definitely yeah felt a lot of shame around exercise and then when I started to get into yoga more from the spiritual side and then just like and then completely fell in love with movement I still don't and I'm sort of you know learning more and more now and I've been sort of teaching for like six six years now and I am starting to sort of question things but definitely when I first started I didn't have any other kind of anatomical training so I was just you know taking this people's word for it and I think my first training as well was quite a traditional Indian training where I think a lot of actually um, things have been um, are a bit outdated now as well like sort of that they're teaching in terms of movement yeah yeah I agree and I wonder if all yoga teachers at some point are just going to go through that anyway we're all mm. going to go to that point where we're we're still in that part of learning where we're actually just copying what our teachers said and we're just hoping that what they said was right you know we're just like hopefully that's fine yeah and then you know maybe part of the journey as you become a more experienced and seasoned teacher is having you know once you've processed that initial like big chunk of information is being able to be like hmm yeah why do they always say that your your heel needs to be in line with the arch of your foot in warrior two or you know why is it in the ashtanga series you're not allowed to progress unless you've gotten this one Mm, mm. this pose and is that useful you know you start being able to curate your classes according to the knowledge that you're Mm, building mm. um yeah (laughs) it's pretty crazy and also I'm, I'm just sort of thinking now about as well how like you know to be a dancer or to be some sort of other movement like person you generally have a lot more training you know whether it's dance and you've sort of spent a lot of people just spent the whole life or even if it's just like three years studying and even kind of you know personal trainers and stuff but yoga teachers you can just come from any background and totally walk into a training um yeah. which is yeah and then you can end up learning these sort of techniques that we that might not have been reassessed or questioned um for a long time so I so I think it's quite important for uh, kind of overall movement health and and also for yoga teachers to actually explore lots of different other movement avenues. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I agree. Yeah, and because although like we have these really dogmatic um, rules and technique things, which might be right right now, but we might find out that they're wrong later. What we do have that that is a lot more reliable in a lot of ways is our own body intuition. Mm. And I think once we can tap into that and really like listen and ex- and give ourselves space to experiment and change poses and like feel what's right, then you kind of can't be wrong with that because that's coming from like that is coming from your body's own organizing. Uh, self-organization intelligence which you know we are animals and we do know this stuff you know we don't need cats don't go to like cats don't go to yoga unless they're on instagram (laughs) (laughs) you know and dogs don't and horses don't they learn through 
their their own process of kind of experimentation. And I think if we if we let ourselves go back towards that, then we've got this kind of great resource which uh, which we can draw on. Yeah, and that is very true, actually. I think if we just checking back in with our intuition and what feels right and what doesn't, we can't actually go wrong. If we're genuinely tapping in and saying, does this feel right for my body? Mm-hmm. Like, our body's always going to have the right answer because our body wants to be healthy. Um, yeah. And I guess that kind of leads me to sustainability as well, kind of, because we're obviously trying to craft really sustainable movement too mm-hmm. um, as well. And I think a lot of that, just comes from being honest with ourselves and honest with what our body needs. Um, I know when we previously spoke, we were kind of talking about how sort of if we get too caught up in maybe the aesthetic value or even just something how it feels and people can, you know, if you're really into kind of weights and you're like, God, well, I've got to do my like fourth day of weight training this week when actually is that what it's, it might be what we think our body needs because we're sort of our aim might be something that is more aesthetic or, or weight orientated but actually for the like overall like health and longevity of our body, it might need a, a day off mm. or, you know, a more yin practice. Yeah. Yeah. So I think sustainability is a really big uh, thing in the, in, well, in, in maintaining health behaviors. Mm. So in, in terms of like the, the world of like um, health and exercise psychology, well, there's two different, you know, there's two different angles. You can go at it from the psychological point of view is, which is that um, if you are doing something for uh, external validation, so if you're worried about how you look, how you look and your aesthetics, then um, that is a much less kind of stable motivator than actually wanting to do it because because you're listening to your body and it feels good. Mm. Um, so there's there's a whole branch of psychology, um, science, uh, sports psychology, um, dedicated to something called self-efficacy, mm-hmm. self-efficacy theory and and self-determination theory and what it means is that um for behavior to last it has to be autonomous so you have to feel like you're doing it for yourself Mm. it has to be um some sort of um connection point to a wider community um and there needs to be some sort of feeling of being able to progress in some way and to like Mm. connect it to like a Mm -hmm. deeper meaning so if in your movement practice you're doing it for I need to need to be skinnier or have a bigger bum or like whatever, um, that's I think you're eventually going to end up just self sabotaging yourself and and also that's something that's really based on shame I think mm, of not mm, good enough mm. um, and that's not really that often leads to a place of you know like I don't know bulimia or overeating or anorexia. Um, whereas if you're doing it because you, you found something that you love and you really enjoy it, then you're, you know, it's, it's something that you can kind of intertwine with your identity. Um, and you know, often one of the things about, okay, at the moment we can't go to the yoga studio, but, um, one of the things about a lot of the practices that people love is that, you know, you go and you connect with other people, Mm. whether you talk to them or not, you go to the yoga studio, you like see just... The community, yeah, the community is amazing, and I think 
that's probably partly why people get so addicted to yoga in a way that, you know, you might not get as addicted to other kind of forms of exercise. And I think, or that yoga just has such a kind of following, right? And, and it's interesting too, because that's one of the, I was also reading about kind of community and its place in kind of trauma and, and working through trauma. And one of the best things that you can do if for someone that's suffering of PTSD is also, um, yeah, to have a sense of community because it just really kind of gives people a, a place and a grounding in the world. Mm, um, yeah. And then, you know, you get all of these other benefits too. And that's not to say, I mean, you know, for some people that might be going to a choir or, or, or something else. But I think that's why we do see, yeah, such a community around, around yoga because it really, that just belonging and then going and stretching your limbs out and feeling amazing and it's also yeah, exactly so it kind of like all stacks mm. yeah it's a really great um habit stacker because you get your you get your because health is not just your physical body yeah it you know built on lots and lots of different elements so you've got your social you've got emotional well-being there's I, I want for want of a better word spiritual you know mm. you have lots and lots of different elements and they all interact with each other and if you can find something which um kind of pinpoints like lots and lots of different areas then you're, you're onto a winner basically yeah <laughs> it's really yeah. great yeah. Um, yeah in terms of sustainability for the body it's just to like really briefly touch on that is in this I always just talk about it in terms of like a balanced diet. Mm. You can't just eat cake, even though I love cake, right? You have to, we, we all know, right, you need to get that rainbow of like, I don't know, different green vegetables, yellow vegetables, red vegetables, purple. You need to get some like legumes and beans and, you know, depending on your, your the, the state of your gut and, you know, and your particular biochemistry and it's the same with um it's the same with movement and with exercise if you're just running or if you're just weightlifting or if you're just doing yoga that again is repetitive load without balance mm. so ideally we need to kind of like pepper in like it doesn't need to be loads even it's not like you have to become in a way uh, like an olympic weightlifter and an ashtangi and like a yin master and a gymnast but including like little bits of functional movement into your life, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes is, is, has like, yeah. Great, great. And actually something I loved from one of your blogs that I will be resharing is how you talked about, um, snacks, movement as snacks <laughs> and how we have our kind of main meal, which might be our one hour of yoga or weightlifting or running or whatever it is. But really what helps keep the spine and everything else healthy is when we give ourselves these little short snacks of movement. Yeah, I'm a big, big fan. Um, I haven't quite figured out a way how to get my, um, like, I've got a few, quite a few private students, and I've been trying to get them to implement this movement snack thing, mm. and my husband also, into their lives. But I haven't quite found out, like, <laughs> figured out a way to motivate people to do it. But, mm. yeah, literally, like, three to five minutes of spinal mobilizing, like having a wiggle, um, you know, rolling up, rolling down, lying on your back, hugging your knees into your chest has huge, huge repercussions mm. um, and benefits for your body. Um, I wonder if it's the capitalist mindset. <laughs> We're like, must be more, must be yeah, bigger. Yeah, like must do it in a set period of time and achieve these things, whereas actually just having a bit of a roll around. 
Even just a dangle. I'm quite a fan of a dangle. What do you mean by a dangle? A forward fold. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was dangle. like, hanging off the roof? Yeah. Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love, I love to, yeah, get, get some fresh, fresh blood flow to the head with a bit of a dangle. And yeah, I find I for me, for my spine, that really just decompresses it. Yeah, I'm, I think I do dangle. I just didn't realize <laughs> that's what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> The dangle, yeah. Um, and then I also wanted to talk a bit about, yeah, self-esteem and exercise. And I guess we were talking a little bit about it then in this sense of community and all these other things that come along with with exercise as well. Yeah, so um, so I'd like you to, all right, I'd like you to imagine a pyramid. Okay. Beautiful big pyramid, right? At the top of the pyramid is global self-esteem. So that's like, your, that's the big, I also, it's a pyramid, pyramid, but it's also an umbrella. So your <laughs> umbrella is global self-esteem, which means your self-esteem of your whole, whole body. Mm-hmm. Underneath that, um, self-esteem breaks down into like lots and lots of different categories. Mm-hmm. And depending on who you are, so if you're, you know, your ethnicity, your age, and your um, gender is a really big thing. You're going to base your pyramid. You're going to have your foundations of your global self-esteem pyramid built on lots of different factors. And there are definitely some common factors. You have like financial, um, again, social, educational, and depending on the society you're in, um, you'll base your self-esteem you'll weigh it differently on like these different categories, right? So if in your family, financial success and having like a proper job, whatever that is, is like paramount, Mm -hmm. then you'll feel pretty bad about yourself if you're not making enough money or if you're Mm -hmm. not a lawyer or not a doctor. Whereas if you're in a family which is like prioritizes like art and you're like, you know, art, arty, they'll be like, you'll feel good about yourself. Um, and where like exercise fits into this is there's a, a big, you know, one big category in self-esteem is physical self-worth. Mm. And this is because your physical body um, sort of is the direct interface between you and the rest of the world, right? It's the part of you that people see like immediately mm. and how you look and how you move is an expression of your status in the society and also, you know, things like your sexuality, your, mm. like, so much stuff. And um, especially for women, um, a little bit men as well, but we base a lot of our self-esteem on how we look, mm-hmm. which kind of sucks, but, you know, it's one of those things, right? And um, And so we often try and kind of mediate that through exercise. Um, But underneath the umbrella of like self-esteem and exercise, it kind of tapers out into, you've got like, you know, physical self-worth, like tapers out into appearance, but it also tapers out into things like um, your ability. um, Oh gosh, I can't remember the other ones now, but it's like four or five different elements. Mm. If you base it on your ability, um, if you, sorry, if you base it on how you look, that is a lot less stable than basing it on, um, 
your functional ability or mm. how it makes you feel mm-hmm. or the fact that you're dedicated to this practice and you're like this is something I do and I feel good about it um to, so to cut a kind of long story short <laughs> where was I going with this <laughs> I know I was going somewhere umbrella. yeah I'm like, hmm, to cut a long story short, and then what happens to the short story? To cut a long story short, ah, okay, so exercise, you know, we know, like, anecdotally, we know that exercise makes us feel better, Mm. Um, and that is because of, like, lots of different things. Some of that is the the kind of endorphins that are released, so um, serotonin, you get that lovely, like, runner's high or yoga high, and some of it is based on, like, we feel like we can make ourselves look better. Um, I I really just believe that we need to, as much as possible, let go of this idea of trying to make ourselves look like how society expects us mm. to look or, or the kind of ideals that are pushed by corporations. Because as long as we're concentrating on getting skinnier and, you know, often for women or getting a bigger bum which is now the new thing the less connected we are to ourselves Mm. and kind of you're always chasing this like this thing that isn't really real and it's not based on our health or happiness um I know that like lots of women and I think I talked about this with you before you know we often feel like oh we'd be so much better we'd feel so much better about ourselves and so much more confident if we just lost like I don't know, like one or two pounds. And or it's like, always an if, isn't it? So it yeah. Like, I'd be so much better if I had this. And it's like, we, it's an if. It's an if. And then also when you get there, sometimes you're like, yeah, okay, I'm happy with this now. But actually, if I could just lose a little bit more or get more definition on my abs, um, yeah, uh, or, or whatever it is. And it's just, it's totally false. And it's Yeah, totally it's just chasing something that doesn't kind of exist right because once you know if you or someone that says to themselves I want to lose this amount of weight and then they lose that amount of weight and it doesn't necessarily look like what they thought it was going to look like and you're just sort of chasing something you know that feels ultimately it's impossible and what you you should be looking for is oh why am I questioning this oh because I want to feel better well what else is there that I can do that's going to make me feel better yeah rather than trying to treat because really I guess it comes from an underlying feeling that we're sort of searching for and rather than trying to achieve it with losing weight or trying to look a certain way actually if we sort of address the underlying issue yeah and start to treat that yeah and it's not our fault really because the stuff that we see and the stuff that we read yeah we've been absolutely conditioned to yeah magazines are like hey have use this face cream and you're gonna have amazing skin and feel so great and then you're gonna get that job you've always wanted and you know like successful people who are successful on the tv are people who have this certain body type and Mm. this certain skin color and this you know like it makes you it's it's a it's a big old illusion yeah (laughs) it's a huge illusion and I know for me definitely a big big turning point was when I, I was sort of you know, exercising a lot and I didn't, and I wasn't looking the sort of way I wanted, wanted to look. And I was getting really frustrated and, and really upset. And I felt like all of my friends around me were so much slimmer than me and they weren't even doing half the amount of exercise I was doing. And then I stopped for a moment and I was like, 
I exercise four to five times a week. Like there's absolutely no way that I'm, uh, you know, unhealthy or that I'm fat. I'm exercising this much. My body looks this way because that's my natural body type. And I'm looking after it. I'm being, I'm being, I'm being healthy. And once I start to be like, oh, I'm not actually like to, to think of it like that and being like, wow, I'm exercising and it's making me feel good. And kind of accepting that I was never going to look the way I was, I was sort of aiming for, but appreciating that, I was totally healthy and, you know, that I had, did all of this different movement that was actually really good for me. I was just like, oh, and now I want to keep doing that movement just to keep yeah. doing it. Yeah, and it also has a very different um, psychological and physiological effect. Um, yeah, I feel like I have such a different relationship with yeah. exercise now. Yeah, yeah. And so if, uh, if you imagine um, someone going on a run and, it's, and another person going in, or maybe the same person. Anyway, so there's this person going on a run, right? And it's this one route. And they go on it and they're hating the whole time because they're mm. just doing it. They know that they have to because they feel like I've got to lose this weight or I've got to look this way. And, you know, it's not really coming from them. And they're doing this run and it's they come back and they feel however they feel about it. If that person, same person, did exactly the same run, the same route, but for them, it was for them on, at this time. It was like, ah, oh, this feels like kind of meditation. Mm. I feel empowered. I feel connected to my body. I can feel the breath moving through me. I can feel the wind. You know, it's great. the The effect on their physiology would be completely different. So, same run, same amount of like whatever burn, same amount of fitness achieved in theory, but because their psychology around it is completely different the hormones going around their body are going to be different. Mm. So that's another really kind of important reason to look at how you're feeling when you're exercising. Yeah. And I've heard that something, I've heard someone say something similar about food before. If we're like not enjoying it, then our body doesn't actually kind of absorb as many nutrients from it. Yeah. I mean, I, I cannot confirm or deny that one because <laughs> I haven't, haven't studied that bit um but I mean it, it does make sense because you know uh for example that cortisol is is a hormone uh well it's in some in some ways it's the stress hormone and mm. you know it's responding to what you're what you are perceiving if you're perceiving a situation as stressful or bad like you know it's going it's going to start being produced more and and the thing is, is cortisol is it's um, it's a catabolic hormone, mm. so it it stops you from, for example, building muscle because mm. like, right, we've got to be ready to go. We've got to be ready to go. Um, and so, if you're always feeling stressed and anxious about what you're doing, it's very difficult to get into that rest, restore, and kind of replenish state mm. because your cortisol is telling your body no. No, 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 we can't rest, we can't relax, we can't build. Mm. Um, yeah, so they have, I mean, people, some of the research indicates that if you've got elevated cortisol, not only does your sleep quality reduce, but you also tend to put more fat on. Mm. It's hard to develop like lean muscle mass. So, you know, that's just one way that how you think about what you're doing changes it for your body physically. Mm. Actually, interestingly, what you said about the sort of runners as well. Um, I went for a run on the downs recently and I just hated every moment of it. And there's no reason why I hated it. And I think I was just so used to doing this sort of like 
trudging route where I just felt like I just had to go around and do this lap of the downs and then I'd done my daily exercise and I was just like I just wasn't really enjoying it wasn't feeling very motivated didn't get a run as high and then a couple of days later I was like well I want to go for a run but I definitely don't want to go on the downs again I really didn't enjoy that experience so I just went on a bit of a, a random run around me and just ran down any road that I thought looked pretty and just was checking out people's houses and totally just staring into, you know, into their homes and ran down all of these beautiful roads near my house I haven't even been down before. And um, and I ended up running 5K and didn't even realise and had the best, most fun run ever. Yeah, yeah, see, you were full of, you were full of endorphins, like nice ones, like serotonin going, oh, check out that house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I, ca- I called it something on my, um, on Strava, like architecture porn, because it was. Um, yeah. <laughs> loved it um and that actually kind of leads me yeah to our, our sort of fifth topic which was the yoga slash exercise high and we've sort of yeah touched I guess on on serotonin um and so that's the hormone that our body produces when we're moving right and that's the happiness hormone yeah ha- yeah happiness hormone um yeah it's one of the so the the brain chemistry changes quite a lot when we exercise mm. and it produces lots of different um i think they're called uh i can never pronounce this properly but uh monoamines and serotonin is one of them mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it's it's interesting because you could you could base a lot of your understanding on why we do yoga and why we do exercise um, purely on these chemicals. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and they do they do make us feel good. But I, I think it's just so much more complex mm. than that. I think, um, you know, sometimes, you know when you've done, like, a really great yoga class or a climb and you've you've kind of you've managed to progress in mm. some way or when you've done your run and you've done you've gone further than you thought you could that um, sense of achievement yeah yeah mm. I think um at least for me anyway and in terms of and to go back to sustainability one of the things that I find really useful about movement practices is is seeing my body change and progress um, and I don't mean this in terms of like, you know, again, like abs or, or shape or something. It's, it's, no, it's that feeling of, ah, oh, like I didn't know that I could do that. And mm. because, because I've seen that one little change and it could be minuscule. It could even be in like how I feel. Like I used to be a really scared climber and I now I'm a little bit more brave mm. and that one grain of hope changes how I feel in the rest of my life. It gives me that, like, that felt lived experience of I'm more than I think I am. Mm, mm. And, I, and I think that's kind of like the ultimate exercise high for me. Definitely. Yeah. Recently, yeah. I ran 9K without even planning on running 9K. And it started off being one of the most painful, uncomfortable runs because I'd eaten such a big lunch. And it was like horrible and these stitches, but I just kept running and I just got really into it. And before I knew it, I'd ran 9K and I just felt amazing. Like, and I still feel really proud of that. And I definitely haven't tried to go back and run that 9K since, but like, it just felt yeah. like a big deal for me. It'd been a long time since I'd run, run that far and it wasn't even something, you know, and I was just like, oh, I still, still got it. Like, great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's so empowering. And like, I think, so, you know, sometimes we can get a bit caught up in like, um again and kind of a bit rigid locked into like must (laughs) like must be able to do a handstand Mm. and 
you know, must like be able to do a 5k in like this time. Um, but I think there is really something to be said in, um, in, in achieving goals or I, I think like to think of it as a sideways achievement of goals. Mm, mm. Like I'm not too focused on the goal, but I'm really enjoying going there. Yeah. And you're like congratulating yourself on all these small victories yeah. on the way. Um, yeah. And rather than being like, oh God, well, I'm still not any closer to my handstand. You're like, well, you know what? Today I actually like kicked up and it was one of the smoothest kickups I've ever done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then also something which I'm totally fascinated by. So that so we've sort of got this exercise high, which is a bit hormone and, and maybe a bit um, goal related or achie- achievement related. But we've also got the yoga high, which is slightly different. And I'm totally fascinated by because it involves something called endocannabinoids. Oh yeah. Okay. So this, this is, is actually much- means that, that so like confirmed guys, when you feel high after yoga, you are actually kind of high. Yeah, actually kind of high. Yeah. So this isn't my area of expertise, like, um, cause I haven't studied this. Okay. But they don't teach I, it, so. although, although I know a lot of people that have, <laughs> um, yeah. So the reason, you know, the reason we get high, um, when we, smoke or ingest or vape or whatever cannabis products is because we have we have the receptors for cannabis and that is because we make cannabinoids within our body which is what like an endocannabinoid is um so you know all of those yogis like meditating on a hillside (laughs) um maybe like tuning into that that particular brain chemistry because you know as as we kind of discussed like um we can change our brain chemistry with what we do and how we think yeah and someone Um, explained it to me with the endocannabinoids that something to do with when we stretch our ligaments that release it that like activates these receptors which is why we get this sensation of feeling high I do not know about that, but I, I'm really intrigued, and okay. I will, I will, um, yeah, I will we'll, have we'll research. Do you know, that, like, um, you know, like the rolling techniques, like with balls and mm. with um, and massage and stuff. There are different, lots and lots of different nerve receptors at different points in the skin. So, and in the fascia, which mm. is kind of really the, the bit that I've studied, mm. and they all respond to different pressures. Mm. So, for example, there's a set called the Ruffini, uh, the Ruffini, I guess, nerves, and they um, they respond to really light touches about one inch. So, I want you to do this now. Okay. Get your finger. Yeah. And everyone that's listening, do this now. And then place your finger, like, maybe on your forearm or on your arm or any sort of bare skin, maybe your hand. Yeah. And with a, with a very light touch, um, just stroke kind of like one inch, just like one inch light touch. Mm-hmm. You can even do it on your face, actually. That's quite nice. Mm-hmm. And so this this small light touch around like a, around an inch and just really, really light, that's stimulating the Ruffini uh, receptors, which are um, kind of really involved in relaxation. Mm-hmm. They downregulate the nervous system. So, yeah, so you can, you can just kind of relax yourself just, just by doing that. And for some reason, it's an inch. I don't know why. Maybe it's a bit like um, 
makes me think of like cats licking licking their. I do kittens. feel really relaxed now. It makes me feel like when you have a bed partner and you like stroke each other's like. Oh, bed partner! I like that. Yeah, yeah. You, or you stroke like above the eyebrow. You know, it's just that little spot there. Mm. Um, yeah, and and that is the extent of my knowledge at the moment on that because I've mainly been studying. Um, oh, I've mainly been studying biomechanics and um, and other and some areas of physiology and then uh, balance and mm. uh, a little bit into. Um, a little bit into the aging process in our bodies, which mm. is quite interesting and quite scary. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're like, uh oh. Yeah. Oh, and the psychology of like exercise and habits and motivation. And yeah. Everything. I mean, I think the psychology of exercise is actually totally fascinating. Um, and actually, I wondered if you do um, have any reading, whether you can think off any of the top of your head or if you want to share some with me later and I'll pop them in the show notes because um, I think yeah. that's something really... Um, yeah, I have, a, I have a bunch. I'll just kind of reel off some now, mm. <laughs> hopefully. And, um, but maybe we could put them in the show notes. I think Move Your DNA is a really brilliant book mm-hmm. and it's about... Um, it t- takes a really broad look at how how you know as this complex thing how movement affects our our dna essentially Mm -hmm. how it affects um our psychology our physiology Mm. our you know how we socialize um and it's really funny as well so that makes it a nice read read, Um, and it's very motivating because you're like wow yeah like Mm. i need to do more of this movement stuff um I would suggest looking at the marshmallow effect in mm-hmm. terms of psychology that's not so much to do with um science but it's a really good kind of pop culture book mm. about um <laughs> delayed gratification and instant gratification and like why we do things yeah there's, an- there's another book on habit that's really good and my the textbooks that I'm reading do not really have exciting titles and they're also very expensive to buy um they're all like the exercise psychology textbooks mm, mm. by university and they're like I think like 80 quid each or something crazy yeah um wow. <clears throat> is there anything else I can I can I'll pop a few um yeah you can let the, me know yeah. afterwards um awesome cool and then I just have a, a couple of people sent in a couple of questions to yeah. finish off with um so someone wanted to know about the resting heart rate what is it and why is it so important and how can we work on it ah okay so um the reason resting heart rate is important is because do you remember me talking about um not being a machine Mm -hmm. um so one of the things so heart rate variability is a really good indicator of how healthy you are because Mm -hmm. it suggests how well you're able to adapt and react to different situations so if you're if you're like having to suddenly run away from a tiger I don't know why that would happen it would happen in America actually because they have a lot of tigers in cages but anyway so yeah you need to be able to adapt to yeah. high stress situations when you need to run away from something and then you need to be able to um, bring it back down and people who can't adapt um 
break essentially um so having a low resting heart rate means that your heart is not working as hard essentially which is good yeah it's good it needs to be able to be calm when you're calm and work hard when you need to work hard but drop back down um to to your like to a kind of really easy base level mm-hmm. um another way to explain it is this this is a theory that hasn't completely been proved but people say that or some scientists suggest that because we can kind of prove it in the animal kingdom mm. you only have a certain amount of heartbeats in your life yeah for some reason I remember learning this in like my religious education class at school I don't yeah, know I, I think mean, it's it, talking about it, life it and death really, it hasn't really been proved for humans in, mm. in a substantial way I don't think um so the more <laughs> the more your heart is beating the more it's working mm. right and so if it's beating slower then it's doing less beats over your lifetime mm. therefore you're using it less in a way so well you're not using it less but um it's like if you you know the more miles on your car the mm. more miles on your heart Mm-mm. is one way of looking at it yeah okay so ultimately we want to and what do we need to do to use our heart less we need to do more exercise right yeah, like running, so, I've heard like you know, like professional athletes have really low resting heart rates. Yeah, really, really low. It basically means that your heart and your um, your both your cardio and your respiratory system is incredibly efficient. Okay. So if so. your heart has to beat harder, it's essentially saying, or beat faster, it's essentially saying that in order to get the amount of oxygen that you need, it has to do more. Mm. So think of it as like a streamlining process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, fascinating. Okay, cool. And then someone else asked as well, why is sleep so important when it comes to exercise? Um, sleep is really, really important because it, um, it is the time when you're restoring your body. So, um, adaptation. So if you think exercise is classed as a stressor and, um, the equation is basically stress plus rest equals adaptation. And adaptation is when your body changes as a result of your exercise. So maybe you get stronger, maybe your uh, aerobic capacity increases. Mm. If you don't rest, then those, um, and you don't sleep, those essential processes don't happen, which Mm. means that you like, again, I'm going to use a car again, for some reason as a reference, despite the fact that I can't drive, um, the more you drive your car <laughs> without an MOT, if you never MOT your car and you never oil it and you never, you know, whatever, you're going to drive it into the ground, um, pretty quickly. And so your, your sleep, you know, sleeping is that opportunity to, to Take things. Repair, to, isn't you know, it? Yeah. And yeah, also, I think, I've been doing some research from fasting recently and our body does a lot of repairing when it's in a fasted state as well. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Although the jury's is is this phrase the jury's out? Yeah, Um, jury's out. They're not not sure yet. Not 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 confirmed. It's not confirmed in terms of its long term effect on women. Hmm. Okay. It's specifically in terms of reproductive health. Hmm. So, whilst it has, it's got like lots of really like strong, robust research, um, which suggests that it has really really great 
like great effects, especially on men. Um, the the research in, isn't there in terms of um, female mm. participants. If anything, it seems to disrupt, um, you know, disrupt periods, disrupt mm. normal mm. cycles. So, <clears throat> yeah, so I think women be careful. Yeah. Don't do it to the same ex- the same extent as guys. Um, there's also some really interesting research about um, its effect on cancer and on helping people go through chemo. But ethically, that's very, very difficult uh, one to get trials on. So Mm. I don't know. And also I've heard some of uh, about fasting and sort of um, Alzheimer's and sort of age-related neurological diseases that can help sort of um, prevent prevent them. Yeah. Yeah, there's... um, uh, did you read about, um, I never say this right, autophagy or autophagy? Yes, autof- yes, o- autophagy, yeah. yes. Well, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos, actually. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is probably more relevant to cancer, but the mechanism that they think uh, makes, which makes fasting so good for you, is that, is this autophagy or autophagy, mm. um, is that the all of basically it's like it's like being in lockdown <laughs> right and all of the jobs that you'd never normally do because you're too busy just like surviving doing your normal life mm-hmm. you do so your body's like ah oh, there's all these cells hanging around that are kind of like a little bit rubbish so we can get rid of those and those would potentially be the cells that would um malfunction and go off into their cancer state or cause other problems in the body so it's the time when the body's like right I'm not digesting I'm not doing any of that other stuff let's do some like serious maintenance oh cool and I loved your analogy that it's like being in lockdown and getting all those weird jobs that you never get done done yeah I love that you're you're actually the queen of metaphors yeah I love a good metaphor (laughs) it's great because it makes um it definitely helps people understand things better um oh cool thank you so much Claire so those of you that don't know Claire teaches Tuesdays at 5 15 and Wednesdays (laughs) at lunchtime 105 yeah yeah. and you're always peppering in amazing bits of um information in your classes that's for sure um and yeah yeah, I'm really obsessed with the cervical spine at the moment and, like, postural stability mechanisms. I'm just all about, like, balance right now, balance and coordination. It. Yeah, cool. Okay, so people can expect to see some of that in your classes at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, epic. Cool. Yay. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. A massive thank you once again to Claire for coming on the Wolfcast. This was such an organic and informative conversation about movement, and I learned a lot. If you would like to practice with Claire, she teaches Wild Core on Tuesdays at 5.15pm and Wednesdays at 1.05pm. These are all available to book virtually through the website. You can also find Claire on Instagram at claire.coco and her book recommendations in the show notes. Thank you once again for listening and don't forget to give us a review if you're listening on iTunes.